This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. I can remember the moment when I was six years old and I said a joke and my three-year-old cousin started laughing and I was like, oh, I can make people laugh. The people I respected would hear me do a freestyle. They'd be like, whoa, you're actually really good. And I'm like, I don't want to be a cringe rapper, you know? But at some (laughs) point, it's like, it's undeniable. You just got to run with it. My plan was to do dumb shit. And then hopefully when somebody sees it, they see there's more than the dumb shit. And then they become a fan of like the stuff I actually put my heart into, like the music. It was a long run of me not having enough money to buy drugs because I spent it all on magic cards. It's definitely made me a better person picking it up at such a young age. Early on, you have to overcome something that makes you have to live a little different. You have to sidestep the the normal path. You got to have some sort of adjustment early on that you've chosen. A new way to do the same old shit everybody else does. Hey, welcome to the Create Unknown, the home of Make Something Mean Something. It is TCU's day. We are here live on Discord at 6 p.m. Eastern every single Tuesday. I am Kevin Lieber. With me, as always, is Matthew Tabor. Yeah, and we've got a guest announcement for next week, and uh, we got to celebrate somebody else's milestone, don't we? Yes, a delicious, a funny and delicious milestone <laughs> from our friends over at Chuckle Sandwich. Uh, just hit their two-year anniversary, which is a big deal for podcasts. I think. I think once it's, one year, it's a huge deal. One year is like, oh, we've been doing it for one year, and you know, everybody hits that. Two years. That's something. You have something there. You have yourself a nice sandwich. Do you remember that stat when we got started? I remember reading it on some website where it's like 93% of podcasts don't make it to 10 episodes. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's grim out there. It is. It is. It's like this with a lot of things. It's been a while since I've been in, in the restaurant industry, but there was like a standard line that was something like that. That was like, it was either 80 or 90% of restaurants go out of business within the first two years. It's, it's like yeah, a staggering one, number. <laughs> yeah, I remember one too about how hard it is to get uh, like a, a truly uh, returning customer that it takes like three times of eating at a place and having a good experience. 
Uh, and, and how hard it is to get people to come back two and three times so you can hook them to the point where like then when they think, oh, let's go out to eat, it's going to be, you know, this place is going to be on the list. So, yeah, basically everything is grim and it takes forever <laughs> and you have to just keep doing it. So, yeah. So whatever you're doing, if you've been able to do it for more than 10 episodes or you have more than uh, 10 customers, uh, you're doing something right. So c- congratulations. Uh, we're also doing something right in having. Uh, rebooked Alt History Hub. We were supposed to speak with him uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. There was a little bit of an <laughs> a personal issue with his office that uh, he, has he had a plumbing problem. You make you make it sound like he got like like he violated his parole. <laughs> Like yeah, he had a, he had a personal issue. We can't talk about it. I know, but he, he had like water. He had to suck up with a shop vac or something. Right. He he has been he has posted bail on his water problem, <laughs> <laughs> plumbing bail, and yeah. and uh, we'll be chatting again with him uh, next week. So join us for that. <laughs> but uh, but we have a great guest tonight and a wonderful introduction coming directly from Matt Tabor right now. Yeah, well, we've talked to artists and creators in just about every medium at this point, but we have never, ever talked to anyone who is as pure an entertainer as Billy the Fridge. And think about what that means. It means that whatever you do and everything you do makes people a little bit happier. Billy's list doesn't even sound real. His CV includes... Rapping, wrestling, competitive eating, comedy, IRL streaming, co-hosting the Drunken Peasants podcast, which has run for several years longer than our own show, uh, and the occasional gaming stream. If you watch his video titled Dumb, you'll see him mud wrestling in front of disgraced porn star Ron Jeremy and snorting lines of crushed up Dunkaroos like cocaine. The bars that Billy spits are inspired by Tupac and Weird Al. If you listen to Just a Bill on YouTube, you'll hear tinges of both. On Bandcamp, he describes himself as a mega-sized man-child. He claims to have consumed a gallon of milk a day as a kid. As an adult, he's adopted the donut that he won in an eating contest and fashioned what appears to be a three-eighths-inch steel chain to it, which he wore around his neck. The inebriated often, and too often try to bite it. A few girls have even taken some of the glaze off. Billy is a Seattle institution, and he cites his win at the Top Pot Donut Eating Contest as one of his best moments in that city. But the confection is also a source of concise wisdom. Billy reminds us to focus on the donut, not the whole. Ten years ago, Billy described an event that demonstrates his commitment to entertaining. As he was rapping on stage, fueled by free beer and pain meds for a back problem, he threw up under the hot lights and then finished the last half hour of his set. Some of the stories from wrestling are quite a bit wilder than that, so hopefully we'll hear a few of those tonight. Billy is an imposing presence. He stands like 6'3", with singularly luxurious hair restrained by a headband. But he's also one of the most charming people I have ever met in my life. He is adored privately by other creators, and there is no one more supportive behind the scenes. Most creatives and entertainers make absolutely terrible friends. They really do. Uh, But every interaction with Billy makes your day better. So we've got a freakish amount of ground to cover here. Uh, Billy, can can you give us... The, the state of the fridge in 2023, like who is Billy the fridge right now? Right now. Uh, well, I, 
I, I feel like I just got the the best back rub of my life right there. That was that was a beautiful uh, summary. I, I came coming to this like, well, what are we going to talk about? And now it's like, okay, everything, everything. Do you know how? Do you know how hard it was to write that? Because it could have been like seven thousand words long. It, with everybody else, it's like, oh, how do you, how do you make somebody sound, you know, pretty solid for two hundred fifty words? It, with you, it's like, uh, how do you take the entire Bible and put it in one tweet? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's hilarious. Uh, that that was beautiful, though. Uh, I I think right now um, I'm in a state of um, I I I don't know where I'm going to be in the next couple of months. I recorded a movie before the pandemic, and we got about halfway done with it, and we finished it up after the pandemic was over. And I'm I'm waiting for that to come out, and I've been looking, been taking a lot of trips down to L.A for possible uh, other movie projects. I'm, I'm trying to retire a movie star. I think everything else I've done has gotten me so far, but I, I would like to be on like, I don't know, a Will Smith's fat friend or something. If, if they let him back into Hollywood, they'll let me in, right? <laughs> <laughs> How do you decide to choose what project you're going to work on next? And, and is there a point where you decide, you know, I've done this particular medium or I've done this particular thing, I've accomplished that goal and... I'm ready to try something else. Oh, I, I think I'm the worst at that because I just let it come to me. I don't choose anything. Everything just comes to me and I'm like, well, let's do it. Let's do it. And sometimes I'll do like uh, too many things and then nothing gets done. But, but usually I'm just like riding waves of whatever comes my way. So I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't choose too much. Right now I'm writing um, new music. I'm working with a friend of mine, Bill Beats, and we've been recording some stuff but we had to take a break because I got in a car accident and I can't stand for prolonged periods of time. So I can't like, oh. I can't do the, the recording process of it, but we'll get back into that and finish that album. But um, it's, it's been uh, a process there with music. There's always like so many shiny keys dangling in front of me and so many things that I want to do that I don't know if I can do, but I want to try things I know I can do that I should be doing. And it's really about just focusing on one. Probably has something to do with ADHD. I don't know. Something undiagnosed. <laughs> so, so, that should be the, the, the go-to answer. Whenever anybody gets asked a question that they don't have like a, a clear answer to, they should just say, you know, I think it's something undiagnosed. <laughs> Basically. That'll just end it. Yeah. It, it. It's over at that point. There's no response to I that. I have uh, undiagnosed creative flow. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay, let's let's start uh, with, with the mini fridge. How did... How did how did you start on like generally entertaining people? Okay, so I can remember the moment when I was six years old and I I said a joke and my three year old cousin started laughing and I was like, okay, I like this. And from that moment Do you on, remember the joke? No idea. No, I just remember his response to it. Like it was the response. I was like, oh, I can I can make people laugh. And I remember for years trying to make my dad laugh, and he was like, not the type of guy that would play into it he's like it's not funny it's not funny and when i finally <laughs> broke him i was like started working to other people i was like if i could break him i could break anybody as i got older i realized my dad was really just kind of crass and his humor was like were like bathroom sex jokes and stuff so he wasn't really gonna laugh at anything a kid could make up anyways <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, he's he's not gonna he's not gonna go bonkers at like why is six afraid of seven yeah no not, not at all so as i as i grew up i think i got a little more crass because of his influence too you know i'm never afraid to say something that 
uh, well, I'm, I'm, I guess maybe now I'm afraid. I, I, I don't know if I can be canceled, but I, I, I try here and there to see. But about, I, I never go, I never go balls deep on a cancelable statement. I want to be able to pull out last minute. So like, I'll, I'll like, it's like I'm trolling. Like I got my line in the water with something kind of messed up. And I'm just letting it bob, and then the second it like gets it gets a bite, I'm like, well, you know, that was actually there's more to that. You didn't realize. <laughs> <laughs> So you went on the humor side, you, uh, uh, kind of did, um, focused on the comedy part, but how did, how did rapping develop? Okay. So uh, from the, the comedy aspect of things, I was, I, that was like three to six. And then I, I watched wrestling around that time period too. Like everybody, I grew up in that. I was at 83. I was born in 83. So everything, the eighties into the early nineties wrestling was huge and I was watching it and I thought it was real. So I was kind of scared. Of, of like being a wrestler. The second I found out it was fake, I was 12. I was like, well, I want to be a pro wrestler. And I started like going around and doing backyard wrestling. And then I looked for training facilities everywhere. And around that time, um, a friend of mine was cleaning up garbage in a recording studio. He was like the janitor. So he could get paid like 60 bucks. He's basically a bum cleaning up at a studio. And we went into the studio and we started recording like little comedy songs and bits. And from there, it's like I was in there all the time. I would just be like doing web work for somebody or creating flyers for another artist. And I'm watching all these terrible rappers come in. And for years, I'm like helping them and they're terrible. And I'm learning from their failures. And I probably started rapping like as a, as a, as a kid around 15, but I didn't like really tell anybody about it until my early 20s. Because I thought it was embarrassing. Everybody was a rapper, right? Like everybody wanted to be a rapper. I'm like, I really don't want to be that guy. But I just realized at some point, like I'm better than everybody out here trying to do it. <laughs> like the people I respected would hear me do a freestyle. They'd be like, whoa, like you're actually really good. And I'm like, yeah, it's too bad. I'm a big goofy white guy. I don't want to be a cringe rapper, you know? <laughs> but at some point, it's like, it's undeniable. You just got to run with it. So um, I think I kind of, blacked out for a second there and i really need to go back to the beginning of the story <laughs> were you hanging out with a bum in a recording studio and that's how you got into rapping like did Technically, i follow that story yeah, when you he, were 12 years old well I, I i say i say bum he was actually a friend of mine who he was a younger younger guy his family uh kicked him out of the house i guess so he didn't really have anywhere to stay so he's a buddy of mine he was staying around with me and then he would go into the studio and do like some janitor work for a little extra bucks. And maybe they'd let him sleep on the couch. And he was like, he was like, Hey, I could start doing janitor work for studio time. If you want to record some sketches and songs and stuff, comedy stuff. And we went in there and then just from there, it was, I think I, I was going to that studio for almost a decade before I started releasing music. It was, it was like eight years before I really put music out in the public. I think it was like 2000, one i started going in and then 2008 i put out a mixtape so it wasn't really wasn't really my my choice to to do rap it just kind of had to you know it was a side yeah, effect I just <laughs> needed you to clarify that because the picture that i had in my head when you first told that story was really different than like a, he a was, younger kid that he, you were friends with he was very Instead well some dressed grizzled for, like railroad hobo with <laughs> <laughs> he was a well carrying a bindle bum. Uh, he was he was he was a buddy of mine. I I, I just I, I I say sometimes the most ridiculous things because they're part true, but truth is only so entertaining. 
Well, it is it is remarkable how good you are at rapping because it, a lot of people try. I mean, you say like everybody wants to be a rapper. And yeah. if you go on YouTube, you will notice that a lot of people do really want to be rappers and they kind of shouldn't. <laughs> to totally. I think the secret was I tried not to for so long. And that's what made me good. And I was like, I'm trying not to be a rapper. And it just like happened anyways. I was surrounded by him all the time. And it was fun just to hop up in a, a cypher and kick some some bullshit into a microphone with guys. And like, I think I, I did a, a battle in the 2002 or 2003. And it was like really got, got a lot of praise or whatever. It wasn't anything huge. But from that point on, like I, I knew that I was decent, you know. But I still didn't want to be that guy. <laughs> it was like, it took me a while to be that guy. Yeah, I, I just have a hard time. Uh, it's it's remarkable to hear from you that you had like a reluctance or a shyness about it. Because if you watch your content, that doesn't come across. Like, I don't, I don't watch your videos and think, this is a really reserved guy <laughs> who is yeah. very self-conscious about what he's doing. <laughs> I think I just saw so many people try. And at the time, I think it was like Eminem was huge. So like there was a thousand copies of Eminem in Seattle where I was coming up. Everybody was like, uh, like what, whatever a generic brand of Eminem is. Like in Canada, they'd be Smarties. But I think the Smarties are even better than these guys. It was just, it was just like I, I lived the cringe through them. And I'm like, no, I, I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy. But at some point it became undeniable. And once you're undeniable, it's like you can do whatever you want. So it was definitely a good move to put all of that time in into refining before you you kind of put yourself out. Yeah, there. and it's like I wasn't I wasn't like not doing other things. You know, I just like I was training in wrestling for a while during that period, so I I could I could be doing this and other things at the same time. I just wouldn't tell anybody about it because I didn't have anything to like actually release. I think I I did a record release party. 2009 february 2009 and uh it was it was a really fun party and it was just like we had a i did a song about the lusty lady in seattle which is an old peep show you put quarters into um a, like an arcade and the window of the wall goes up and there's a girl naked dancing on the other side of the window so at my my show i like did all these little gimmicks i had a donut eating contest at the beginning of my show i had uh, some friends of mine perform then I had a um, a wrestling match in the middle of the show, and then I had another group of friends of mine perform, and then I had a, a lusty lady dance contest where I got some of the lusty ladies out, and they uh, competed for a thousand quarters, and it was it was just like a a, a stupid fun little show, and uh, it, it uh, then I performed my my album, and it was like that was me coming out into everything. Before that, I'd done maybe a few live shows just just getting into the swing of things. I was like, I gotta, I gotta come out and do something. It's going to be weird and it's going to be fun. I remember Macklemore performed there why, and it was before he blew up and he was upstage uh, upstairs. Uh, and one of the lusty ladies was all over him. <laughs> he was just trying to, trying to get a lab dance out of him. I think they were, they were working on the upstairs stage trying to get extra money. Cause thousand quarters don't go that far, even in 2009. <laughs> you know, listening to you describe, uh, that party, I, I think anybody else be like, hey, let's invite uh, everybody we can. We'll, you know, let's have an open bar and just good music and leave it at that. And you pull out this this P.T. Barnum level, uh, like bill of show here. 
that has several different layers. Like you couldn't miss any of this. Like most parties, you don't want to show up uh, at the beginning. You know, in this one, like you'd you'd want to get there before uh, the doors open. Yeah, it was it was great because the it was also the last night this club was open uh, to the public. They they got word they were going to close down. I wasn't even sure if the show was going to happen. So we're getting all these random Seattleites coming in off the street that have no idea what's going on. And they just walk in and they're like, <laughs> "What the hell is this?" <laughs> it was it was fun. How much time? How much window time did a quarter get you? Was it like a quarter a minute? I don't, I, on the piece, I think show? it was probably about fifteen seconds, but I never counted. Oh, I, wow. I think it was about, I think it might've been a dollar a minute, but I, I really don't remember. I know that you would go in huh. and you would get like a $5 worth of quarters most likely. And then they had a second booth that I called the lobster cage. And it was a girl in a window and she was all by herself. And you go into the door and you, the, the window she has will have a curtain that will shut when you go into the other door. And she'll like give you a private show where you talk into a phone to her. And it's like, I don't know anybody who wants to hold this phone because everybody's just jerking their meat. It's gross. And they're, they're like, there's, there's 100% oh multiple oh. jizz moppers on duty all day long. They're, they're, that's their job is to mob jizz all day long. It's, it's, it was the weirdest little place. My dad, my dad took me there when I was, before I was 18 because we had a, a friend of the family whose dad had passed away and he was 18. And my, my dad was like, I got to take him to see his first boob. He's got to see his first boobs. His dad's not here. And he's like, you just come in. They'll, they, I think I was 15 at the time. He's like, they're not going to ID you. You're fine. And I was scared. So I waited outside while they went in. And ever since then, it had like this weird, like meaning to me and my family. It was just a strange little place. It closed down in 2012, which is a whole different story, but it was, uh, it was a, it's a cathedral of sorts. Yes, yes. It was right across the street from the Seattle Art Museum curated by Bill Gates' wife. And she would always like support the girls because they, she was like pro-female uh, empowerment. <laughs> it was like she'd always say good things about it. It was so weird. Did she support the moppers? I do not know. Right. I think they're... These are the real heroes. They, they really are. I had a, uh, the, last, the last night I was there, I was hanging out with a buddy of mine who... He was also a wrestler and his gimmick was he would come out with the mop and bucket and he would like douse the person with the jizz mop and to like to like beat them. <laughs> and he was sitting there and he's like, he's like, uh, actually, I saw him after it closed down. It was like a month after it closed down. He was telling me a story how he was going into the, his regular bar and the bartender was like, hey, man, why don't you bring me in quarters anymore? And he's like, dude, didn't you hear the lusty lady close down? And the guy was like, wait. That entire time you've been paying me with jizz quarters? And he was like, he was like yeah. Yeah, what do, you, what do you think? Where do you think they came from? He's like, I think I worked at an, an arcade and I was just getting video game money. He's like, those are things I picked up off the floor, washed them off. He's like, I did wash them before I brought them to you. But once a quarter drops at the lusty lady, it's like, it's not no longer your quarter. It's not worth 25 cents to pick it up. No, it doesn't even bounce on the no. floor. It just sticks. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know how crass. Jeez. I don't know how gross you want to get in here, but it's it's oh. it's one hundred percent was it was a it was a, a a place like you walk in and if you go in one booth, they had one way mirrors and two way mirrors. The one way the girls supposedly couldn't see you, they could. Uh, the two way mirror, they could see you. So like psychologically, you're like if you want to hide, you could hide, or you could stare them in the eye, like when you're pulling your wiener out and beating it, but. You'd walk into a booth. There was almost like almost half the booths would have a freshie, which looked like Spider-Man had just shot a web at the wall. 
and just was dripping down the window because they would aim for the worst places. And I'm a big guy. So I'm, I'm checking before I go in because I don't want to get any sort of uh, transfer. I don't. One time I was walking out and they had a stack of free uh, newspapers. And uh, it's the stranger. It's like the Seattle's alt magazine. And I'd, I'd read it all the time. I have like articles from my friends in it. So I'd always go out and grab a stranger on my way out. One time somebody caught me with a, a wet stranger mag. I was so mad. I stopped picking them up there. It's it's bad. It's 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 like I don't go there that often, but whenever I had friends from out of town, I had to bring them in for like it was a piece of Seattle. It was like the underground Seattle dirtbag sleaze show. One time I had a buddy from St. Louis. He's a wrestler. He came out and he's like, "Yeah, we gotta go." And he's like, "I'm gonna go use the bathroom." I was like, "Are you sure about that?" Because it's gross, anyways. He gets like almost stabbed by a, a homeless man on his way to the bathroom. I'm like, yeah, I, I, that wasn't even that wasn't even on my mind for the worst thing that could happen to you in that bathroom, but didn't surprise me either. You know how much has this podcast evolved? <laughs> I remember the the first spate of episodes we re- released. It was like talking to Destin of Smarter Every Day, and he's like, oh yeah, I, I made this video where this chicken's head stabilized. It, it was a really great academic concept, <laughs> and now here we are. Yeah, this is a. Uh, this is this is this is where we we all are. Every, everybody listening right now, you're here with us. This is been a slippery. This slope. is 2023. 20, <laughs> what? Where? Um. Do you know how much they paid the mopper? Out of curiosity, like, is that a minimum wage gig? I think everybody there got. Seems like there'd be hazard pay. Ah, yeah. I know the girls got paid twenty an hour before tips, and tips were very rare. Tips usually came when they worked the lobster cage for the one-on-one booth. That was like $5 for a minute, I think. So they, they would work a shift hoping to get a good time in the lobster cage. But the moppers, I think they were around $15, $16 an hour at the time. Because you just probably couldn't get somebody to come in there and have to work mopping and basically security because it was a 24-hour place. There's just mm. dirty people on every end of what dirty means. And you have to, you have to clean them up with the mop or with the baton. The flashlight. Sometimes I remember I was in there one night. And the ma- those long mag yeah, lights that yeah. weigh like 18 yep. pounds. The guy, yeah. guy with the mag light had to come in and pull two guys out of a booth because it's state law. One to a booth. And he's like, hey, fun boys, one to a booth. And he's like prying the door open with the, the mag light ready to go. And the, they were pretty chill about it, but it could have it could have gotten worse. It's It does seem like it could be a really dangerous place. Like yeah. what's going on there at four o'clock in the morning nothing it was like, good it was like a block away from pike place market where they throw the fish if you ever see the the seattle like, oh yeah tourism it was right on first avenue right down from the show box right down from all the, the the popular tourist stuff was the lusty lady and they had this giant marquee and the marquee every couple of weeks would change to a different sex joke it'd be like we're open not closed like when they had construction not closed oh. open not clothed there's a stupid stuff like that well, obviously this had a large impact on you it, it, it reminds me i don't know if you ever watched mr show but mr show was a uh, sketch comedy uh with uh bob odenkirk yeah. of better call saul and breaking bad fame and then david cross of yeah. uh arrested development and uh i don't know alvin in the chipmunks movie fame yeah and, they, and they, they had they had a whole skit about like a mom and pop like if there was a mom and pop version of what you just described. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen that, but if you haven't, I haven't you seen absolutely that. Yeah. have to. You need to, to see this. It would, it would it'd probably bring back some memories for you. <laughs>
Yeah. The, well, it's too bad that that shut down before it, like the, the hottest era of reality TV, because wouldn't you watch a, a show based on the lusty? Oh yeah. It sounds fascinating. I think HBO's real sex did a segment on them and they've been in a few different, uh, they've, they've been like put into a, a movie. There was a movie with a uh, Jeff Bridges called American heart. I think that had a little scene in there too. So it's, it's had its little moments, but it would have been great to have a full on reality show. I knew all like a lot of the girls that worked there and they were telling me stories like if one girl came in with some some meth by the end of the, the week, all the girls would be hooked on meth or whatever girl brought in a new God. drug. By the end of the week, all the girls would be on that new drug, no matter what it was. It was just like <laughs> it, was a, it was a weird pod of, of, of women and they weren't allowed to get tattoos. Um but once a month they have a lottery for a girl to get a tattoo. So like, it was a big deal. If you won the tattoo lottery It's just such a weird little rule behind everything. What? Yeah. The reason I, I think it was the topic of the first song I ever recorded on myself was the, by myself was the lusty lady. That's why it's like so ingrained into my music career. Cause it was like the first thing I put out. How did they decide on this tattoo lottery? Like, what you logic put your name in that? a bucket, and because they don't want the girls to be covered in tattoos, I guess. At the time, uh, they were right down the street from the Washington Mutual Bank headquarters. And before 2008 and the crash, the guys would come in with just gobs of money and just spend it during their lunch break on these girls. And that's why it was able to be around for 25 cents. You know, they'd come in and they get the private booth time and just throw stacks of money in and then after that closed down it was a few years before the whole thing sh shut down with it so two things here number one one of your projects in the future has to be has to be like following up the people of the lusty lady <laughs> like 20 years after the close yeah. just where are they now on literally everybody in all of these stories but the other like this is pure logistics uh did they have a, a, like a coin booth to, I, they, I assume that you went to the a window and traded your dollars for quarters yeah. because who has that many they quarters? Had the, the, what were the logistics of the quarters is my question. Yeah, they, they had the, the regular uh, money changer you'd see at a, a, an arcade. They just had the big stack, the, the big, the okay. big box, the ATM looking machine. You put your fiver in and get 20 quarters out. Is that they tried to be as hands-off as possible when they were working there because you really do ask a lot from the person that's mopping up ejaculate every 20 minutes. <laughs> All right. Wait, wait, wait. I just wondered about the volume of quarters la on this. Like, does a truck pull up? <laughs> the Brinks truck, the Brinks quarter truck. One last question <laughs> on this um, because it, we, I'm just fascinated. <laughs> Did they offer any sort of um, Kleenex? Or like, was there any uh, sort of Lysol wipes thing I, to catch it instead of just blasting it in the room? I do not recall any of that. I think I think they're not supposed to encourage the masturbation from mm. the, the establishment. Sure. Okay. So like the girls, when they're in the booth, they would like cheer the guy on. They'd be like, yeah, do it, do it, go, 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 stuff like that. But like the, the establishment itself, I think they had to pretend like that wasn't happening, even though they had a, a mopper on duty. <laughs> they had to clear everything. So I, I think you had to bring your own. Right. <laughs> bring your own tissue, B-Y-O-T. Oh, and that's all the time we have for this one. <laughs> yeah, we went in hot, didn't we? <laughs>
Yeah, if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash the create unknown and uh, join today. I don't know what you've been sipping, but you've got it all wrong. It's time to commit to the leaf. We've embraced the smoothness and surprising pick-me-up that tea provides. I literally drink it all day long, nearly a gallon a day, and it powers me through research, script writing, and forums on websites that I refuse to name here. But we don't drink normie NPC tea. We drink cultured and refined anime tea from the Dragon's Treasure. Kevin still likes the gunpowder green called Space Cowboy, and I've sampled nearly 40 Dragon's Treasure teas at this point. Lately, I've been slamming black teas like Kentucky Bourbon and Liquefied Berserk Despair. Scottish Breakfast is deep and peaty, and I smooth it over with Sebastian's Morning Earl Grey, which has the best vanilla cream taste I think I've ever had in a cup. Give me a pot of that with a hot meatball sub from Sal's Pizza and Brooks Barbecue Chicken to wash down my last meal on death row. I highly recommend the sampler packs. You'll want to try everything just like I did. I literally have not had one tea that I wouldn't be happy to reorder. The Dragon's Wings membership fuels new tea experimentation and the Tea of the Month Club provides a regularly scheduled surprise. And when you order from the Dragon's Treasure using code CREATE, You'll get 10% off your order. That's 10% off using the code CREATE at thedragonstreasure.com. The link's in the description. Well, I, I can I can pivot gears a little bit from one fine establishment to another. Uh, let's walk into Walmart. So uh, your pinned tweet right now has to do with you uh, being featured in a People of Walmart coloring book <laughs> uh, due to a photograph uh, of of you wearing uh, like a baby carrier. I don't know what you call that, a papoose or something? Yeah, <laughs> it was actually a backpack that we cut leg holes in because this kid was probably okay. about eight years old. I don't know. He was a big eight-year-old too, but... <laughs> It was, it was my buddy, actually my buddy who I started working in the studio with, who was doing the cleanup work at the studio. It's his son and his son, uh, we were like joking around, like we should go make a, a, a stupid video at Walmart. And we came up with that. And I'm walking around with this kid in a, what is, looks like a baby carrier, but it's just a weird position backpack <laughs> worn backwards. It's like 90 pound kid hanging off my, my chest. And I'm walking through Walmart all methodically. We filmed a short video, put it up online. Nothing really happened with it. And like a year, year and a half later, somebody got the video, re-uploaded it, and it like blew up. And it would blow up like every six months. I'd, my inbox would be flooded with women like crying like, how, how dare you uh, take videos of this woman and put it on the internet? Or, or, or like another, <laughs> I, I had another woman try and buy me like a hover round. She's like, I'm, it's, I understand what you're going through. My son is a, a, a big boy too. I, I will buy you a, a hover round so you don't have to carry your boy like that. And I'm like, I'm like, Hey, uh, I'm, I'm not a mom. It's not my son. I was like, they, they didn't want to hear it though. They were just, they already had in their mind that this woman was in need. That's a woman that doesn't exist. And they want all they wanted to do was help. It was so weird, but yeah. And then and then the the coloring like the picture went viral on people at Walmart from the video that existed. And when that picture went on people at Walmart, whoever did the coloring book just knew that was one of the pages. It's just it's such a strange little thing that came out of nowhere. This is this is one of those things. Like I couldn't, we couldn't fit everything in the introduction. Like how do you? How do you address all of these topics like in a capable way? 
I wouldn't. It's like, no, there's this big bucket of Billy and you just reach your hand in and, and pull out like a little slip of paper and that's the best you can do. <laughs> yeah, this, this is the lottery, the weird shit lottery. <laughs> <laughs> I I also think that there is a, a little lesson here, though, that our listeners can can take from this story in particular, because Matt and I often talk about just do stuff, just make things. And you you yeah. you don't you can't plan ahead. Uh, you can to a certain extent, but at the end of the day, like you don't really know what the end of the road is. You don't know what things will lead to. Well, if there's any story that illustrates that you don't know what things will lead to, it's this one where you go from making a gag video to being in a people of Walmart coloring book, (laughs) you know, a few years later or whatever it is like, there's no way you could, you you could have, you could (laughs) have engineered that. It's ridiculous. It's it's definitely been like that. That's been my <laughs> that's been my my plan was to just do dumb shit, and then hopefully when somebody sees it, they see there's more than the dumb shit, and then and then they they become a fan of like the the stuff I actually put my my heart into, like the music and and the 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 other the other things. I, I want them to be like enjoy me in 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 what I I enjoy, but I know like it's so hard to get people to really take a look at anything you care about so you have to you have to sneak in just that that craziness there was a video clip of me um from i I used to be on this website battle cam it was owned by this weird billionaire guy eccentric billionaire and he would pay people money to do like stupid things in public and he offered me like 143 dollars or something to do a um fake a seizure in a starbucks and I'm like, I'm like, I don't, I don't know what a seizure oh, looks man. like, right? A hundred and forty-three dollars, right? Not enough money for that, <laughs> right? But, 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 but in my, in my mind state at the time, it was like, uh, I'm just gonna do it because like it's a challenge, and and as I'm doing it, I'm realizing I don't know what a seizure looks like, so I'm just flopping around on the ground like a whale or something out of water, and uh, like that, that was a dumb clip, and it kind of went nowhere, but then it went viral on Reddit one. One day, and then the week later, because that went viral, my Just a Bill music video went viral, and they were like, "Hey, this weird guy is actually a dope rapper." And so, like, I, I, you never know what is going to be that that push. It's going to get your stuff over the top because I've I've never had like a group of promoters or anything to push me. Right? It's always just been putting myself out there in so many different ways and sticking to somebody's shoe like bubble gum. You know. Just, you got to walk away with something. And sometimes it's it's the shit. You might think I'm just like this weird guy doing a seizure. And at the time, that's really all it was. I was just being dumb. But then if you see another part of me, you're like, wait a second, there's more to this. And I'm going to actually hang on to that part of it instead of the, 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 the dumpy dumb stuff. Kevin, this is really similar to to your path in that you did Jerry Bloop. You did goofy comedy stuff. You did funny cartoons. And that led to what is like one of the most serious educational channels ever. Uh, it, it was a the kind of thing where you caught uh, Michael's uh, attention there uh, way back in the day for things unrelated to where your Vsauce stuff is now. Yeah. Uh, and you let that happen. You were open to that happening. Yeah, I also think, uh, Billy, what you're describing is essentially viral marketing, right? It's like you are you are the product yourself. Yeah. You have created these viral marketing moments uh, that gain 
a great deal of eyeballs. And then if, you know, 1% of 1% of people follow through with finding out who you are, then all of a sudden they're, they've unlocked your catalog of different creative projects. What, what happened with the, the seizure thing though? Did an ambulance get called? Did you just no, stand up and walk away and I, say, yeah, sorry about that? I like, I like dropped to the ground. I was flopping. Everybody in the Starbucks kind of like looked at me weird. And then some lady came up to me and was like, are you okay? And I, I did like a, a little sit up and I was like, yeah, no, no, I'm okay. And she's like, but I don't know. You look really pale. And I was like, oh no, no, I'm Danish. And then like, <laughs> and then like everything just kind of Danish. Like sell apart from there. It was like the, the billionaire didn't pay me the money because there was no ambulance. And I was like, that's fine. Like, I don't wow. need the money. I was doing it because you, you double dog dare me. <laughs> I had this weird thing. I never went to a fraternity. You know, I wasn't a college kid. So I felt like I'd have to get my, uh, my 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 hazing in on my own, right? I'm like, you had to haze yourself. Yes. I, I, when I was when I was really young, I noticed there were like two versions of me. There was like around my peers and my friends, I was this loud, boisterous guy. But around anybody that I thought had like, um, I don't know, like a parent or a a, a teacher or like had some sort of connection with me that wasn't like peer to peer, I didn't see as an equal. I was very like reserved and, and calm. I, I'd often get referred to as Eddie Haskell by parents who would like hear me like being loud out with their kid. Then they, I come in, I'd be like the sweet boy to their face. And, and at that when I kind of like knew, knew I was like that way where I was two people, I wanted to push myself to be very uncomfortable at all costs so that I would get over that so that I wouldn't be two people, you know? I was trying to murder the timid part of me. And so for a good five or six years, I was just doing dumb stuff so that I would have to deal with being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. it's Eddie, Eddie Haskell, is that a leave it to beaver? Is that oh, where yeah, that yeah. comes it's, from? Like nobody's yeah, going to yeah. know that unless they're 70. I, I just want to yeah, give somebody <laughs> <laughs> some context as to who Eddie Haskell is. Yeah, he was the neighbor kid. You that said was... that name and I was like, oh, thank God somebody <laughs> other than us made an ancient media reference. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was just this kid that was like really sweet faced to the parents and such a little brat off camera. And I think that that like the parents obviously are going to make that reference when I'm a kid. I barely knew the reference then, except it applied to me. That's that's the only way I know is that I remember <laughs> my friend's parents using it to describe one of my friends. <laughs> yeah, and he's like Eddie Haskell. Like, but I didn't watch Leave It to Beaver. That right? was from like the fifties. <laughs> yeah, that was black and white. <laughs> An old show. So you talk about it, taking dumb things, uh, whatever it is, uh, into you know, hoping that that people see something that's uh, more substantial. Uh, I, I don't know how you'd want to describe it, but you uh, have done podcasting that that addresses serious stuff, like very. You talk about very real things on drunken peasants. It's not, um, you know, it's not just uh, lusty lady stories. Yeah. How did? How did that one develop? That was, um, so I, I was doing some YouTube videos with, uh, a YouTuber Onision and, yes. and he, he's here <laughs> from Seattle. I made a video like talking trash about him. Well, it was like a jokey though. I was joking about him and his significant other. And, uh, he reached out and said, Hey, that video was actually pretty funny. Would you collab with me? And I'm like, well, I, I did bring your name up, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to collab with you so at least i could have my own onision story of how i fell out with onision and uh 
<laughs> I started working with him and he just seemed like like this this guy who was really focused on making videos and it was like he surprised me how like kind he was. And so like we worked together a bunch, but the drunken peasants at the time, they were a, a group of uh, four guys and they were always looking at Onision videos and they saw one with me. And one of the guys, Paul was like, Oh, I know that guy. He's Billy the fridge. He's a rapper out here. And he's like, he's from Seattle. And they called and had me come in and I did the podcast as a guest. And before long, you know, I was one of the rotating hosts. And then when the three of the guys went to do a new project. I stuck around with Ben and Ben and I have been doing the drunken peasants podcast for, Oh, it's been like five years, over five years now. And, uh, I think that I just was able to grab their format and feel like I was part of the, the team right off the bat. Like they, they were all really surprised how well I worked with them and how easily I was able to just take like their, their jokes, their stories, their like what they had been going through for for years together, and jump right in like like I could I could run side by side with the boys, and that I just happened to work and fit in, and we're still doing it. It's it's crazy. It reminds me of um, <clears throat> I don't know how many people uh, will be familiar with Opie and Anthony back in yeah. the day. Uh, Opie and Anthony uh, had uh, a morning radio show. Um, Anthony Akumia still has the Compound Media Network, which uh, uh, Crypt Daddy has a show yeah. on, on Compound. So, so we support uh, we support the Crip. Um, but Jim Norton was one of those guys that you know. Jim Norton is extremely funny. He would come in uh, and do little bits. He would do some characters and uh, take phone calls as those characters. Hey, just little bits. But at a certain point, you could not. You could not tell that he he wasn't a main part of the show, and like any time he dropped by, it was it, it was like a, a family member in the house, you know, who lives there, who just happened to walk in the living room. There was no separation between uh, those guys, and and eventually, like Jim, really was just part of that show. Uh, so I, I got the same vibe there, where sometimes you just match up, you just match up. Everybody gets everybody else, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you're part of a thing. Yeah, it's it's actually I've I've compared it to that before too, jokingly in certain ways. Like I'll I'll, I'll call Ben the, uh, the the Opie of of the show or something like that, just <laughs> joking around. <laughs> just little 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 nod to it. But I, I I wasn't a huge follower of Opie and Anthony. You know, I wasn't like a weekly listener. But you can't not like have no who they are and listen to like hours of what they've done. It's just it's every big comedian at the time was on there. Some of the funniest stuff in the world was going on on that, that show. Yeah. And if anybody's unfamiliar, uh, Google or not Google, uh, search on YouTube for dragon wagon, uh, Jim Norton, uh, abusing a trucker whose handles name is, is dragon wagon who calls in <laughs> with a complaint about the show is, fantastic and it goes on for like 45 minutes it's it's crazy how some people will just take abuse for that long and just not give up uh, so one of the one of the moments that that you guys had on on drunken peasants uh i i remember one of the times i i saw the name organically was with milo yiannopoulos yeah um you had a bit of a bit of a moment with him didn't you that was that was before i became a part of the show the the guys had him on for an interview 
and he had mentioned how he had a sexual relationship with his his priest, his Catholic priest, when he was, I think, 13 or something, mm. and how he said he was the oh. predatory one. And he's like, it was good. It was good for him. And and then the clip resurfaced later after he was on um, Joe Rogan. And then that blew up. And that's kind of what got Milo knocked out of the, the, the favor of the right because of that, that weird story of him seemingly promoting a, an underage sexual relationship with a priest. And that was kind of pulled out of the archives, right? Like, like how many years was it between when that was recorded and when it kind of I think resurfaced? it was recorded about a year before, uh, maybe a little over a year yeah. before. And when it resurfaced, it was like, like the, the guys were all like, well, that, that was a, a minute ago. You guys care about it just now? But it's kind of how things go. You, you don't really know what's going to hit when, but you, you say some stuff that can be taken out of context, especially when your audience is these conservative right-leaning people they're they're gonna hear you talking about glorifying a relationship with a with a priest as a child and that's that's a rough one like how do you how do you deal with that when your user base is not 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 that open to things like that not not progressive and i don't know who is open to that but it's like I know the conservatives are very it's probably say, a, a, pretty a, a, progressive. a bit of a, <laughs> bit like, of a tight niche. Yeah, small really niche far. Yeah, to be uh, to well, be it, down it seems with like that. Right now, the conservative is like ev, ev, like the, the the liberals are all uh, taking advantage of kids. Right, that's that's their that's their go to. It seems like, and then the the left is like the conservatives are all Nazis. Like they're either Nazis or diddlers. They just fight over it. So I, I don't think Milo did too well. But now he hangs out with Kanye West, right? Oh, he's doing great too. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's probably an episode in that. <laughs> no problems there. No problems there at all with him. It's crazy. We want to help you make something and mean something. And we say that phrase all the time because when you're making something and you know it means something, even if it's just to you, that's when you feel pretty good about what you're creating. The support for the Create Unknown in recent weeks has been incredible. Animators, artists, musicians, YouTubers, aspiring filmmakers, comedians, it is crazy how talented everybody in this community is. Consider joining the Create Unknown Patreon. Every dollar that comes through goes straight into the podcast and its community. That means more highlights videos. It means a big Minecraft project that's on the way. And eventually we'd like to manufacture custom piss bottles so you never have to leave your battle station. And being a patron unlocks participation in all of our live recordings. You've seen the roster of guests we've had. Having access to their minds is a unique opportunity. You can go to patreon.com slash thecreateunknown or click the link that's in the description. Every little bit helps and your support means absolutely everything to us. Patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. Links in the description. We appreciate you, Space Cowboys. Well, the, the most controversial uh, topical thing that I wanted to bring up has to do with a certain YouTuber uh, playing the role of Jesus and curing blindness. Oh, yes. <laughs> this has been like such an oddly contentious or controversial one way or the other thing that everybody seems to be talking about. I mean, I suppose largely due to the fact that it's why this video is wildly popular. So um, if, How many views does it have right now? I'm gonna I'm gonna look that up because it's only like two days old, isn't it? I know. So if anybody has missed this somehow, uh, Mr. Beast released a video where uh, he paid for 1,000 people with curable blindness to have their blindness cured, and 
I know for a fact that it got 50 million views in one day. So, so where is it at right now? 66 uh, for three days right now. Okay. Yeah. Well, popped off hard that first 24 hours. But uh, for some reason that I don't think I've exactly been able to discern, uh, this has caused a bit of a firestorm on people arguing over whether or not this is a good thing. This is somehow indicative of something maybe wrong with Jimmy or wrong with the healthcare system or it seems all, it's been all, all over it. the place. It's everything is the problem here. It's it's Jimmy is exploiting people. It is it's tragic that this is even a thing that anybody has to do. It's like every crass interpretation of of him giving this uh, providing this surgery for a thousand people. It's not just one. If he'd made one person like I cured blindness for one person, it, that would be a great video. But that's not what Mr. Beast does. He doesn't do one of anything. Uh, he probably limited it to a thousand because they told him like, hey, we, we can only we only have so much staff. We can't do 10,000 today. You're going to have to cut it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, every possible terrible way to react to this is has been just constant on the timeline. I think that Mr. Beast has been a target for the fact that he he's like creating his own like he can he can he can because of his position with YouTube he can compete with any media company right like he's 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 out there he's getting the views that other media companies can't get and when you do an article on like a PewDiePie or a Mr. Beast maybe not so PewDiePie anymore but these big internet names it gets big views right like that's it's 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 old media's way of of having relevancy and i think that they try and attack mr beast often and this is something that you can really paint a picture of why would you do this for views right like why would you like, like that's what he does he does everything for views though so like he could be doing other things for views but he's choosing to give a thousand people eyesight that's like so it's like if, i understand if you don't like him uh doing things for views but it's 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 really just a matter of anything he does that can be painted a certain way. People want to paint it that way. They want they want to try and and take a knock him back a bit because he's growing further and further at a crazy pace, and he's going to have the power to maybe shut down some of these media companies if they really try and push him. He's got a, a group of people that love him. When you type his name in, not even anything about this particular video. If you type in Mr. Beast in Google, at least if I do right now. What pops up on top stories is an article from Time Magazine. Not everyone is a fan of Mr. Beast's new video. Kotaku has uh, a thing about how, uh, like, that isn't the real problem. Vice has uh, one about uh, this video showing that society is broken. Insider is Mr. Beast's response to criticism over curing blindness video. They are dependent on what he's doing. Now, CNN and people uh, and... Yeah, that that's uh, all that's displayed right at the top. They are simply reporting on the video. You know, they're they're not leaning into the criticism in the articles that that are there. But yeah, I mean, we see this on Twitter, and you know, I, I wish I, I could throw names under the bus here. <laughs> uh, I just don't want to. But there are people who just you know they wake up and they grab their phone and they're just trolling uh, the creative space to find out, you know, to to see what they can write their, you know, kind of bizarre interpretation uh, about um, that. That's that's their life and job, I suppose. But 
uh, yeah, the, the tweets that we're talking about are coming from, I mean, I, I just assume they're all 12 years old. I mean, <laughs> they, and they're violating Twitter's rules by being under 13. Uh, uh, but is that, um, what's the, has that come up on, on uh, drunken peasants? Oh, yet? We, we, we haven't that- talked about that over there yet. I've, I've been a, a group chat with some other YouTubers, uh, Keemstar's in there and he's been friends with beast since the beginning. And he, uh, yeah. He's like, he put up a video earlier today, I think it was, and he says, yeah, people are complaining that Mr. Beast is doing this for views, but ever since I've known this guy from the very beginning, he's always wanted to help people through mm-hmm. growing his YouTube brand. And yes, he is doing this for views and for money, but that those views and money are going to go back into further helping people in other ways. Like that's just, that's, that's his, that's his drive. That's what he, his business practice. He's got beast philanthropy. He's got everything he's doing. And whether you agree with it or not, like he's not the bad guy taking advantage of people. The position they're in right now is kind of, there's a lot of bad guys taking advantage of these people, but they're not, they're, they're not in the public eye. So we turn the other cheek. We, we look away from it, but he's, he's just kind of shining a light on, Hey, you know, these people could have been seeing their entire life for, a 10 minute surgery. Why, why, why do they not? You know, this reminds me of something that <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to see your Eddie Haskell Let's and I'm going to double down. I'm going to go back <laughs> to, uh, pre pre world war one. Um, I, I will admit I had to look up the year. It was 1907. Coney Island had a freak show. They had an exhibit in the freak show of babies in incubators. And this was something that you would pay money to go see. It was uh, as sci-fi as anybody could imagine that that the, you could take a premature baby and uh, put it in a bin and provide the same conditions that you would provide like a chicken egg and it would turn into a healthy human. This was freakish. Well, that absolutely ushered in uh, the funding and the legitimacy of uh, what what basically became, you know, uh, baby incubation that saved countless, I mean, millions and millions of premature babies' lives throughout the 20th century. And it's very beastie in the sense that, yeah, this was done for views at Coney Island. And you, you, you threw your quarter, it wasn't quite the lusty lady, but you, you popped your nickel in and, uh, and got a baby in a bin. And it was like, wow, this is real. And that money was used to do something pretty impressive and that absolutely made the world uh, a better place. So my, my dad was an incubator. Yeah, I'm baby. Sure people complained about it at the time. My dad was an incubator baby. Yeah, I wouldn't well, be here if, if it wasn't for that, that, that Coney Island freak show. <laughs> we have truly come full circle on, on what to do with yeah, my, my dad is blind in one eye. He would always complain about not being able to be an astronaut because he's blind in one eye. Cause the incubator burnt his, burnt his eye when he was a little baby. And it's like, it's like, it's, I would not be here if it wasn't for that freak show. Maybe that's why I, I've lived but, the freak show life now. It's like it's it's conditioned into me. <laughs> it's in your DNA. It is. Yeah, but this is how things work, and that that was the most frustrating yeah. part to me observing this criticism. And first of all, let's just uh, acknowledge that a lot of this criticism, and perhaps all of it. I mean, I don't know what the proportion is here. Perhaps I'm not I'm not discounting the fact that perhaps all of it comes from the fact that this is a way for other people to get attention. Yeah. Here's a way for me to get attention is I will comment 
on this thing that everyone's paying attention to in some sort of hyperbolic or fiery way or, you know, write this article that will, you know, ruffle some feathers about my uh, a super unique twist on this, like, obviously amazing thing. And this is how I, the most important person <laughs> in my life, me, will gain attention. And I think that that is probably all of, of what we're seeing, or at least a tremendous portion of it. Um, but this is how things work, is that you have to gain people's attention um, in order to, like you said, shine a light on, on anything or else it does yeah. go, you know, which, which, which is proven by this <laughs> moment in which no That's one right. has heard of this stuff. I had never come across this until Mr. Beast made this video. And now all of a sudden within 48 hours, 60 million people, which hello is a lot of people are it's a lot of people are, yeah. are suddenly, um, let in that this is a problem and who knows now it just takes one other person potentially to say hey i'm gonna start you know a foundation uh, around yeah. the idea of you know gathering uh funds in order to give free surgery or to not free nothing is free to pay for the surgery on the on behalf of these people that that's how this stuff happens so i, I think that people like us really uh, and it's impossible to do so i mean we're literally talking about it right now so we're guilty of it <laughs> but i just wish that we had a better mechanism for just ignoring the type of people who are just going out of their way to get attention by being negative about something like this or by i think it's perfectly appropriate i think taking a a fat steaming dump on them is is a decent response <laughs> Uh, that's perfectly appropriate to me. And when I see, like, I saw one today, it's like society is so broken that a YouTuber has to do this. Um, and that it's a crass money play or whatever. Like I went through the timeline of somebody who is obviously young. When I say young, I mean, high schoolish age and their timeline is filled with all the stupid shit that they spend money on. I'm like, okay, you are, you love this game that you got for your switch. Oddly, you probably have a, a blind neighbor who you didn't uh, help cure. <laughs> you didn't do anything to ease their difficulty with grocery shopping when it's it's hard to see. Like I know and have known uh, people with uh, with cataracts, and it's a really life altering thing. Like like it, it, it as you can expect, it would it makes daily functioning that much more difficult. By the way, cut. I'm, I'm going to pull on this thread real hard. You know the song Cotton Eyed Joe? <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, it was that disco dance, or not disco, but like dance song from the 90s, the Rednecks with an X released that. Uh, but the, the song itself is about 200 years old. Cotton Eyed Joe is cotton eyed because he has cataracts. That's what the song is about, huh. is that Cotton Eyed Joe has a, you develop a white film over your eyes. So he got that nickname. So do with that information what you what you will. Uh, but this, you know, the people complaining about it, it's like it's it's everybody else's problem and never theirs. They don't have any sense of personal responsibility to uh, affect these problems at all themselves. And that's what that that really gets to me. It's like you are welcome to uh, crap on other people for, uh, you know, wh what they're doing, but you'd better be doing everything you can 
uh, on that problem. And, you know, the, the high school sophomore society warriors are, you know, they're not actually doing a lot by, by tweeting their disapproval. Well, I think that's the majority of people are not doing a lot. They're just sustaining the status quo. They're sustaining the, the cradle to grave yeah. mentality. And they'll, they'll talk, 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 and nothing will move, move, move. They just, they just live a, a life yeah. of, of consumer. And, and by the end of it, you're lucky, you're lucky if you were like, uh, if you meant something to somebody who did something great, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I just want to say, I don't blame the, the teenagers. I don't blame kids. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I don't. They, they don't know any better. They have this, you know what it's like to be a teenager. You have this revolutionary spirit. Yes, I knew better. And well, I knew better. You're definitely okay. Well, you're you're a rare uh, old soul. Then most teenagers just have this revolutionary spirit, and like the world is stupid, and it should be so much better, but it's not. Anyway, I'm gonna go back to playing my Switch, and that's just kind of how you are <laughs> when you're 16 years old, and that's fine. Like that's fine. I think it's not fine when you're like 35 yeah. and you're still espousing the the. the the worldview and the vision of a 16 year old like that. It's like, what have you been doing yes. the last 15 years? You should have yeah. grown up a little bit. I mean, the, the thing, the thing that I always think of when I see some of these criticisms is, is like, I just want to let these people know that like, do you not realize that your illusion of like a hypothetical version of a better world is you <laughs> is useless and irrelevant. Like, do you not know that? Do you not know? I'll say that again, that your illusion of a hypothetical better world is useless and irrelevant. Yeah, it's not great. The lesson they should take away when they see this is for whatever reason, if there's a problem society, for whatever reason, these surgeries didn't happen and a an individual with the means got it done and got it done very quickly yeah. and was able to uh, use his own uh, goodwill and judgment to solve a, a very serious problem for a lot of people. Uh, but I did want to say, if anybody's interested in seeing what these teen takes are like, what these high school NPC takes are, uh, are like, if you go to twitter.com slash h3h3productions and scroll through the timeline, you'll see uh, what the average high school freshman uh, thinks about with these you, issues. You, you grow up, you become that 35-year-old, and you either have to uh, go out and live your life or you become an influencer and you influence the next generation of 17-year-olds, 16-year-olds. Yeah. You know what it is? When, when you're 42, that doesn't mean it's like the math of 14 times three and you like triple down on what you thought as a 14 year old. <laughs> that, that's not, you just have to be three work. times as delusional as a 14 year old. <laughs> I, 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 it's funny. I brought up my dad earlier in the incubator story. Uh, when he passed last, uh, last year, he was an organ donor and, the. Uh, the, the, the letter we got after his organs were donated was that somebody was able to see because of his eyes. The, yes. eye, the eyes only worked halfway for him huh. because of the incubator. And he when at his passing, he gave yeah. somebody else their sight. It's just, I've been thinking about this for the last five minutes That's with awesome. the tie into Mr. Beast. It's just like, it's, it's, it's so weird how, how that, that, that line of thinking connected that. I just had to bring that up. <laughs> it's been in my head for a minute. Just thinking about it. It's like the most objectively good thing a YouTuber has ever done. <laughs> it's, it's really a, a great thing. 
Imagine, imagine being blind, great. and then some guy. Imagine being broke and not be able to afford groceries. He did that too. Imagine, like these are little things. And yes, yeah, it's yeah. sensationalized. It's entertainment. But he wouldn't be able to do this if he didn't make that entertainment. So it's like, did you? Would you what, yeah. what do you want to weigh out? Would you rather have him just be? Well, like, would you rather Mr. Beast just mopped up jizz? Was that the job he should be doing? <laughs> yeah. That's a good way to put it. Do you want to live in a world where this happens, or do you want to live in a world where there's no Mr. Beast and a thousand blind people? Like, which which of these that's two the outcomes weirdest, is preferable That's to the you? weirdest trolley problem I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> 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 and the other weird thing is that the criticism or seems to be, the hypothetical criticism, because again, I don't know if it's real or if it's just to garner clicks and attention, um, is that's well, why, you know, why does this guy have to do it? Why do we need Mr. Beast to do it? And, you know, the, in, the, the thing to infer from that is that someone else should do it, I guess. And it's always this mystery someone else should be paying for these surgeries. Yeah, it's like, well, who then? Yeah. Is it you? If it's not, then you should be thankful that at least... Jimmy is doing it, like, if, and then hopefully can influence yeah. other people to actually do if it. If we're gonna go but the this, predatory, like, nebulous, route. like other pe people should be doing this. It's like, well, who, who are you talking about? If, if we're gonna go the predatory route because nobody else wants to do it, I, I say you get pervs that like to be stared at, like the guys that wear the trench coats and show their penises. They pay for the blind person to see again, but the first thing they see is the guy's <laughs> penis, right? Does that does that work in capitalism? <laughs> I'm sure we can find a couple of rich guys that love slashing. <laughs> this is the follow-up video. This is Mr. B's follow-up video. <laughs> On the hub. <laughs> Cures blindness. First thing they see, my junk. <laughs> yeah, cent cent 1,000 Central Park flashers cure 1,000 people's blindness, and the first thing they have to look at is their anatomy. That's that's a that's a trade though. That's a capitalistic trade. That's 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 a mm -hmm. we're bartering. This this, <laughs> this, this <laughs> we need to uh, we need to pipe Reed back in here so he can get these ideas right to Jimmy. I know this could be he who pays. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the legal system now that's where the bail go that's where the bail money goes for 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 peeping toms and flashers because <laughs> right now they're probably just paying for like some deadbeat dad's daughter's college <laughs> yeah it really is an interesting issue though to to pull on all the different sides of it and see the way people are responding to it and also seeing how they respond when people do push back, whether it is uh, somebody saying, well, this it's great that uh, that Jimmy did this and other people saying, yes, but can we recognize the tragedy that that it had to happen this way and to see how that person responds too? I mean, a lot of people are being boners about this on on both sides. Uh, and I, I freely admit uh, that, I mean, I land one way on it, but uh, it's been just a Twitter disaster. Every thread I see about this is just kind of everybody getting dumber the longer it goes on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would also say that I think that you, you would also think that the criticism is like, well, 
you know, we should tax billionaires more and they could pay for it. And then meanwhile, it's like, well, Mr. Beast is really rich. Why is he paying for this? And it's like, listen, isn't that the same thing? Wait, wait, wait. So which is it? Do you want rich people oh, to, yeah. to pay for people to have life-altering surgery or not? Because that now when he does it, it's bad? What, yeah, what it's am I missing like, here? Yeah, the video is not uh, like county in Nebraska reduces food stamps by 20% for a year to pay for a thousand uh, cataract surgeries. It's not that. It's exactly what you said. Clamoring for people with the means should provide more for normal people to to have uh, better lives. And that's exactly what Jimmy did on his own. He didn't need to give the money to somebody else first and have a middleman organization or government or anything else get this done. He just did it. So he cut that out, made it very efficient, and basically did what, Kevin, what you just said, what everybody's clamoring for people with money and, to and do. And then made the world's greatest commercial for other people to get involved and that's do right. this for other people. Yeah. That's right. Right? From team tre- from team trees <laughs> to team C's. How about that? Ooh. Ooh. Wait, wait. He did team it's, C's with an A. Yeah. Now yeah, I, I spelled it differently. Now it's team C's. I spelled it differently with two E's. We obviously knew there were two E's. So yeah. <laughs> come on. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, the team C's was, was the... He, what, what's next? He's, he's got to do... A, a, next year, he's got to do a big philanthropy thing, too. If you, if you conquered the land and sea... Now, that's a valid thing. going to go after outer space yeah, now? I really wanted to hear what you think about this, Billy, because you've done so many outrageous things, like a lot of really over the top outrageous things in different areas. This is like serious shark jumping in terms of philanthropy. What does he do next? Is it possible for him to like, what do you do after you do this? I do think there's going to be a Mr. Beast video, maybe in five, 10 years where he solves world hunger. If you have, no, I can do that right now. If you have the world's hungry, eat the world's impoverished, you solve both problems well, I mean, at once. Make the video. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 think, I think he was. All you have to do is employ He was talking, his Twitter page the other day asked if uh, he should run for president. I think it was 72% people said he should. Uh, he had a poll up, yeah. Yeah, he's got yeah. another what, 10 years before he'll be allowed to. He's got but, He could go in the house, though. He's old enough soon for that, I yeah. think. Yeah. Will he have enough time to do that? Like he, could, like, he could just privatize government, right? If he if he makes enough money and gets enough followers. He just... Every, every county in America has a YouTube channel, and their budget annually is based on the AdSense <laughs> of their YouTube channel. That's how this this country should function. Uh, there you go. But, but what does he do, though? Like, how does... What do you do when you do something so big and so outrageous and magnificent? What would you have done uh, like your second album release party? How do you top uh, the donut contest and the two bands and the wrestling and everything else? Well, I would find somebody who was ready to die with dignity and have a manhunt. No, no, I don't. I don't don't know. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) This we're going to edit this to make that like a twelve-second pause. (laughs) 
And then a year from now, we're going to make sure it blows up and ruins you. Good. I've been waiting for this. I just want to talk my way out of it. I want to be canceled so I can talk my way out of it. I'm sure I can. Might be the narcissism speaking, but I'm sure I can. The uh, I think they're already doing that in Canada anyway. You don't even... You just have to move to Canada. You'll just get it for free, I think. The Manitoba manhunt. Let's go. I, I think... Um, there's there's like earlier we were saying that most of these kids are just looking at their Nintendo Switch. Maybe he develops a game that like also is somehow does philanthropy while you're playing. I don't know. Is, is there a way that you take the mm. attention and, and monetize the attention with entertainment and value? I mean, it certainly worked with health with Pokemon yeah. Go. And I, I mean... Pokemon Go had a very real effect on the health of the United States, and it did it in a way that had nothing to do with health. It just made something so good that so many people liked that they behaved in such a way that was good for them. It was much, much more useful and effective than, I forget the real name of the program, but uh, one of um, Michelle Obama's initiatives as first lady was was uh, like a, a food and exercise thing for kids. Uh, and I, I'm not saying that was totally useless, but I'm saying that Pokemon Go did a much better job uh, without even trying. Let's move. Let's move. Was yeah. that it? Yeah. 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 Well, Pokemon Go actually got people to move without uh-huh. uh, trying to convince yeah. them. So I can see what you're saying truly working. Uh, you know, something that generates uh, everything from money to attention in positive ways. It might, it might be one step that goes like beyond his reach right like he's as as a guy you can Mm -hmm. you can do these 1000 people cure blindness but if you have if somehow you're able to create a a game that creates a thousand mr beasts and they're not out here like uh making the videos as much as they're making the the philanthropy part and getting the notoriety through that maybe maybe that's the the secret you start franchising who you are through finding people willing to to do truly do what you want them to do right if it's a game the rules are set and these people are following your rules to get to the top of the the rank it's 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 possible i don't know whether that's the the right answer i I still think a manhunt is (laughs) (laughs) that's the way to go yeah i mean it's certainly a good proposal for being put on the spot for how do you top uh doing more good in the world after this uh so i'm impressed with that yeah, game gamifying it somehow. Yeah, does seem like a good gamifying, idea. Gamifying charity and goodwill—that's that's a valid way for him to uh, you know move up from this. And what's what's actually viable about this idea is that uh, when we did speak with Mr. Beast Manager Reed uh, a couple of a couple of weeks ago, I jokingly talked about this like evil Mr. Beast thing where. You know, what she can never do. It, it's like a bizarro world fake thing where he's doing like absolutely horrific things, like truly horrific things for views. Um, what was your thumbnail that you had made for this? Uh, the thumbnail, the, the video was painting the White House red with baby blood. <laughs> that was right. that was my evil Mr. Beast <laughs> video um, idea that I pitched to read. So obviously you can't do that. That's uh, quite illegal and uh, horrible and truly evil. By the but, time you got done, too, the blood would turn dark, like it, the oxygen would make it dark. It wouldn't even be proper red. It would be like this horrible mm. crimson. It'd be terrible. Maybe a blood cloud. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, but but what I was going to say is that the like the super good, 
Mr. Beast thing is viable because you can do that on the platform and he has proven that you can get a ton of attention and, and be extremely yep. successful by doing like amazingly charitable things. So this is totally in play, not only for Jimmy to continue to try to one up himself with, you know, what whatever philanthropic endeavor he can imagine, but but others, his copycats, which he has many. Um, to also try to compete with him to do, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I, I can't think of any, because <laughs> I'm a terrible person, so I don't know how to help anybody. But I'm sure, I'm sure they yeah. can come up with good yeah, ideas. I'm, for I'm this. sure you could do something good in the world, but I just don't have the capacity to come up I with. Can't think of one ideas. good thing so what, what to happens, help anyone. No. What happens if, what happens if Mr. Beast? What if, what if, what if Mr. Beast does a video where he gets like a thousand incels consensually uh, laid? Like he, thousand oh, incels. God. No. <laughs> Billy, no, no. Is that is that the evil no. side or? <laughs> oh, it you know Boromir popping in the chat made me. Uh, I, I need to throw a correction in because I talked about the uh, incubators at Coney Island because I, I'd like to honor Boromir's heritage. His people had a had a very difficult twentieth century in in Germany. So I want to point out that that started in 1898 at the Berlin Exposition. It was kind of tested out there for people to say uh, pay a little money to see these babies and only a decade later uh, did it come to to Coney Island. So it actually originated in Germany, hmm. which I didn't know. I love that you know that though, just in general. You know what? I don't know, this like weird PT Barnum incubator baby fact. Oh, yeah, I um I I read about it in an economics capacity about uh, it was in the context of um, opening up, uh, opening up uh, hunting for species that are protected, and how that can massively encourage the repopulation of that species. Uh, and it was used as a, a sort of similarly conceptual argument that, like this weird for-profit entertainment endeavor, had a, a tremendously useful positive effect on on society. Uh, so. No, I read about that many years ago and it just stuck with me because it's such a, a cool example of, of kind of everything. Uh, even imagine being pitched that idea. If you're running uh, like a, a Barnum and Bailey's kind of place or uh, a Coney Island and somebody comes in, you know, for the weekly meeting and they're like, look, I know we do rides and we have games and we have some some really weird things for people to see. But what we really need to do is is put a baby in a see-through plastic bin and I swear to God, people are going to love it. They're going to line up to throw quarters at these babies. They I, threw I wish quarters I at them? No, no. We <laughs> paid the quarter to... <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Was there a mop the quarter boy? Entrance. Was there a mop boy involved oh. in this story too? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh. But yeah, it's there's a lot of counterintuitive stuff that happens. Uh, that happens. And it, I, I would... I really hope that what comes out of this is people think about all the possible angles for uh, for something like what Jimmy did and not just have it's like, oh, well, my knee has it seems to have jerked. I have my reaction in the first point two seconds of, of processing this headline. I guess I'll, I'll stick with that for the next two weeks. Like, No, take take two seconds and uh, come up with uh, the alternatives and pull on those threads. See what happens. That's what I, I would really like to see people do on this. And, and that's my and, PSA. And also see, I mean, I think a lot of people, well, well, we'll see what happens, but I think a lot of people will have a moment of self-reflection or maybe not, but deserve a moment of self-reflection when 
what I foresee happening is more good things happening as a result yeah. of this being sort of a catalyst, um, mm -hmm. a, you know, a watershed moment to bring attention to a thing that now a lot of people can rally around and start, you know, helping a lot more than 1,000 people uh, with this with this surgery. So I, I expect that benefits. to happen. Yeah, I'm sorry to keep talking about this, but think about what this does for somebody a month from now who they go and see an optometrist and they're like, ah, you, we got to refer you because it looks like you have uh, the beginning of, of a cataract problem. That person may not completely lose it at that news. They, they may have a sense that this is a problem that can be dealt with and not having them go ballistic over such terrible news is that's a benefit that you can't quantify and nobody will ever know how many times that happens but it's absolutely going to happen even with kids where parents and grandparents uh develop cataracts and when you know some 15 year old who watched this video hears that they're not going to be purely you know neck deep in despair you know, there's a little bit of hope that this brings too. So all these non-quantifiable uh, benefits, they're still there. Mm -hmm. And there's probably a 15-year-old yeah, kid listening right now who's going to figure out a way to put a blood cloud over the White House. <laughs> <laughs> like that, the Kentucky meat shower, that is one we brought up on, uh, I think that was 1873, where just raw meat dropped from the sky oh. in Kentucky. That's the closest thing to a blood shower I can come up with. Uh, and it seems like it was uh, a flock of vultures that regurgitated over oh, a wow. town in Kentucky. So, yeah, if you want to go down like a five minute uh, rabbit hole about a weird thing, just Google the Kentucky <laughs> meat shower. Which a Kentucky meat shower sounds like something that would have happened at the Lusty Gee. Lady in like 2001. Finger looking good. <laughs> am, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> I just Matt is keeled over in laughter. He's no longer with us at all. Um, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you. Um, well, actually, I have one comment and then one yeah. question. The comment is about your nickname, Billy the Fridge. Your last name is Barry. Uh, you know, back in the day, we had William the Refrigerator Perry. Is this where we get the He's fridge? The it's it's William the Refrigerator Barry. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, probably like nineteen, and I was hosting a, an event. And they called me William the Refrigerator Barry, and it stuck. And uh, I just dropped it to Billy the Fridge, like a play on Billy the Kid. And I think I needed a, a website domain at the time. And then Billy, William the Refrigerator Barry, way too long. Like Billy the Fridge, and then that's, that's it. Yeah, perfect. That's awesome. Perfect, perfect name origin story. Okay, the last thing has to do with your greatest passion that we haven't touched on, uh, touched on a thing that I know nothing about. So I just want like the most introductory level of the world of Magic the Gathering. <laughs> I You love Magic the Gathering. Uh, I think the artwork is amazing. Yeah. I'm super into the artwork of, Mag is, of Magic is. the Gathering. I'm a hardcore nerd on that side, but I've never played the game. I don't know anything about it. So uh, kind of crack the door open and let us into your world when it comes to Magic the Gathering. What is that like? When I was a little kid, you know, Magic the Gathering came up. It was from the Northwest. It was Wizards of the Coast's Northwest Seattle adjacent company. And it was the biggest thing when I was in the card store buying football cards, baseball cards, basketball cards. The Magic cards were there. And I got into it when I was 11 years old, 1994, the end of 94. And I just, 
That was the beginning of it, yeah. wasn't it? That was like the first edition. Yeah, of I got in. I got in when the the first like worthless set came out was the day I started playing. So like all my first packs were worth nothing. <laughs> They're just garbage cards. But it was, <laughs> it was. Uh, I was hooked. You know, I was a little kid, and that that uh, you start out playing the game, and you you're really terrible at it. There was a bunch of pro players in the area, and they would. Like give me pointers. They would let me play with their expensive decks, and I would do tournaments, and I'd do all right. And, and I just kept playing off and on for like almost thirty years now. And friends of mine who I played with like fifteen years ago are now working at the company and creating the game. And it's just like I, it's it's always going to be something that was um like a, 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 a nostalgia thing, you know. It was it was I was a kid. This was this is where I learned how to uh, not do drugs, I guess. I was too busy spending my money on magic cards to afford weed and whatever else because everybody around me was big into meth, crack, weed, uh, opiates, all types of... It was it was a long run of me not having enough money to buy drugs because I spent it all on magic cards. And I think I go back to it every once in a while when I when I um just have a little free time and a, a, something to focus on. And I think my, my ability to uh, use big words has probably been bolstered by... The cards because there's just so much text and depth of of, of language in them, and I, 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 it's definitely made me a better person. Picking it up at such a young age, I, I think that it's it's given me uh, puzzle solving skills that I wouldn't have had had I just been jerking off to wrestling like like I could have. But <laughs> it's 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 just been a, a constant, you know, something that I enjoy. And anybody who doesn't play. Uh, there's, there's commander is like the, the most popular format right now. And it's more of a social format. So you get four players usually sit down and it's more like a, a party, you know, a reason to hang out and talk and drink and bust, bust your friend's balls. Uh, it's not, it's not like the super, um, competitive form that a lot of people might think it is it's more of a fun, fun way in. And that's kind of what I'm into these days is just sitting down with some friends and slapping spells. Yeah, I've never I've never heard Magic the Gathering called an anti-drug before, <laughs> but now I yeah, have. But, that's that's amazing. I, it's, you know, it's and it's that's a very real thing. It's yeah. it's been known as cardboard crack for as long as I can remember because it just sucks <laughs> up your money. <laughs> yeah, it, when you put it to the timelines like that. Uh so like I I'm into to sports cards and uh older non-sport stuff. Um and thinking back to that specific era of the early 90s, that's when everything changed on the sports cards and they got a lot more expensive. It wasn't 50 cents a pack with a stick <laughs> of gum anymore. Uh, you know, you had 10 trillion inserts. So when you're like 12 years old, it became really hard to like build a set of something. In 1988, you could. You could just grind away for the year buying packs 50 cents or 45 cents at a time and put together a whole set, have 100% of it, and then you're ready yeah. for next year. And then all of a sudden, it's like, no, you would have to spend like $10,000 on wax <laughs> to have a shot at all the inserts. But Magic wasn't doing that at the time. Like Magic was still a, a thing where you could uh, buy packs and build a set. And you had you know, the play aspect where you were hoping to get certain things for your deck you know, like it, it was a neat dynamic that um, yeah, uh, it, it was such a, a cool thing at a time when all the sports stuff became impossible for young people to collect. Uh, and so seeing it be 
roughly, you know, have the same place in, in the hobby 30 years later is insane to me. That is such a tremendous accomplishment. Yeah, it's, it's impressive. And the, the, beyond the collectability, like you would have in a sports card world, this is a game too, right? So even if you don't get all the, the yeah. cool stuff that, that you, you were chasing after, you can still sit down and, 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 and do something with the what, what otherwise would have been a box full of Don Russ 89 that just sits in a box. You're like, right. you're like oh, <laughs> this, this is a brick. This, I have a bunch of bricks in my closet. <laughs> but but they, these have some application too, which I think gives them a little more, a little more uh, foot, foot power, a little more. In that particular set too, the 89 Donruss is virtually impossible to have great condition on the edges because of the, the nature of the colors of the border on that. And what I loved about the magic cards when they came out is that the corners yeah. <laughs> were round and it took away the entire problem of dinged corners. You know, it, it like it was and the border is white too, initially on those sets. Uh, and it was like, oh, this is easy to collect and maintain <laughs> in a way that like, if you looked at a baseball card wrong, as you pulled it out of the pack, you were like, Oh, it's just lost <laughs> half its value. Well, you got a little bit of a better chance with some of the magic yeah. stuff. So it, yeah, it, I don't think it, it has, um, outside of the actual hobby enough appreciation for what it did and how well they did it. And so it's awesome to hear you talk about how important that was for you at that particular time. I love it. I like how deep into the card nerdery you just <laughs> got there talking oh, about the, the edges <laughs> and the border. It and, gets so and, deep. Uh, yeah. Collect, car, collectors are, are, are some of the most obsessive oh. people ever. And I, I love, I love being one of them. <laughs> yeah. The, there is true insanity. And, and Kevin, you know how many tweets I send you. I was of, just going to say, yeah, Matt <laughs> sends me these tweets from, from hardcore card collectors who are, oh. let's face it, gambling addicts is what they actually yes. are they are addicted Absolutely. to gambling and they gamble with yep. cards and well a lot of people gamble with cards they 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 gamble with trading cards rather than playing cards yeah. Yeah. Or maybe they use playing cards too but yeah like the forty thousand dollars on the the trey lance card that's now worth ten dollars after he breaks his ankle it's like Oh my gosh, this is such a harrowing uh, world. When I see sports headlines that are bad like that, almost every time I can connect it to a tweet that I've seen where somebody has put like five figures into, into that, that person. They've put everything they've got into this quarterback panning out or uh, you know this hitter being uh, the next Griffey and, and this catastrophic thing happens. Or sometimes they just like have a slow burn and they, they just are mundane and suck <laughs> and they've put everything in, you know, and one guy made a video, the, the YouTube videos on this, by the way, are straight comedy. The ones who do cards is investing. And it, Billy, I don't know if the magic stuff is like this, but it, with, with sports, uh, there are guys who trade on cards as an investment being, oh, yeah. being their thing. And that's one guy put like half a million dollars or something into Derek Carr, cards the the quarterback for the raiders who got benched in like week 14 and like, this, it, it's like the pink sheets if you're familiar with stock trading the stuff that it's like not a real company on the nyse or the nasdaq it's like the penny stocks bernie madoff got his start in the pink sheets uh it's the highly speculative stuff where uh you know uh phase clans is 
en route to being on the pink sheets now that it's dropped below the one dollar mm. threshold on the nasdaq <laughs> so maybe we'll see uh, uh keem down there uh but yeah it's just like crazy highly speculative stuff and when it pays off it really pays off and most of the time you get burned pretty hard uh so seeing that happen with cards and, and the lives destroyed <laughs> it, it's it, it, like it's tragic but at the same time it, it's it's really funny sometimes i like the beanie baby collection <laughs> those, those, those are my favorite era of collecting that kind of went to trash there's still a few beanie babies that are worth money but the majority of people are just sitting in a pile of stuff he's crying <laughs> are there are there beanie babies still worth there's a money? few Why? that are like ultra rare there's like Super 96 rare. olympic okay. bear or something is worth 10 racks or 20 racks i think i don't know i don't know that much about it if, if i'm i'm not wrong but i'm not accurate okay <laughs> all right well r.i.p to the bank account of the guy who spent half a million dollars on Derek Carr cards that was a poor decision Whoops. and uh uh there is billy one last question that I want to ask you that we ask all of our guests, which um, I think you might be the most qualified person we've talked to to uh, answer this question. I think yeah. so. I, th yeah. I think we have I'm comfortable saying that. I think the last hour and a half has been proof positive that you are. Um, and that is what makes an interesting person? What do you think makes someone interesting? How do you get to be interesting? I, yeah. I think early on, you have to probably overcome something that makes you have to live a little different and either have to accelerate in some levels or you have to sidestep the, the normal path. I think that you really get interesting when you, you pick up early on a different way of, of, of living life than, the, than the, um, the normal path, you know? I think that when, when you're normal, that's great. Like, you can be normal. I, I wish I knew exactly what that was, but, but I don't. I don't think normal people are that interesting. They can be lovely, beautiful human beings. Like, Every human being has uh, something you could look into, but if you have like a kink and you can't have regular uh, relationships, you need that weirdo, right? And that's, that's for me, the weirdos are the ones that had to go through something and find a way to either get back into the mix of the normal people or blaze their own path out crazy. So I think you got to have some sort of uh, adjustment early on that you've, you've chosen a, a, a new way to do the same old shit everybody else does. Well, there you go. That was a new answer for us. And I think it's completely different. Yeah. An absolutely excellent one. So thank you, Billy, for hanging out with us. It was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, Billy is going straight into recording after this. So if anybody listening right now uh, wants to hang out with Billy some more, you can absolutely do that. Check out uh, Billy the Fridge uh, on, on Twitter and uh, Drunken Peasants on YouTube and uh, where all podcasts are delivered. If you want to support The Create Unknown, please go to patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. And real quick, just thanks to all of our patrons. I have been thinking about this all week. I keep forgetting it is completely ridiculous of me to not say thank you to all of our patrons for making this show happen, for allowing us to pay Ben to edit the things and pay our editors to edit videos and, and everything. The money that you give us through Patreon goes directly into making this show happen and also to buy Matt's jet ski addiction. Yes. Uh, how many jet skis are you up to now, Matt? Jet skis? <laughs> jet skis? 
I, I'll tell you what I really do have. I have a giant box uh, next to me of the complete set of first day covers that chronicle the American Revolution, starting with the Boston Tea Party going straight past the Treaty of Paris. It's 198 covers that were issued at the, at the post office uh, relevant to the event exactly 200 years uh, after to the day of that event. So, so that's where, that's where your money goes. Yeah. So I immediately regret not signing off sooner <laughs> and having to <laughs> force you to listen to what Matt is collecting as of this moment. It is that, uh, we'll be back next week with, um, alt history hub, which will be great until then we will see you space cowboys. Thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. We make this show with the support of our patrons. 100% of that goes directly to keeping episodes going every week, and the recent support has been amazing. Sidpoke, NRM, Venture Addicts, Weezer Good, you all really do make this show happen. Thank you to the Tots and Dumpster crew, old and new, who save tiny little lives every month. Thank you to our grizzled, battle-hardened child infantry. Clemente De Los Santos, Dan the Latch, Demetrius Andrews, Erica, Farrakhan, Jen Mefasanti, Kevin Menard, Mikhail Steinke, Monahim, Natsu, Penny Peddler, Risebread, Ryan Kinder, Samuel Manser, Sean S., Sean Malone, and Tom Videoger. And a tremendous shout-out to our elite baby gang commanders. Atrocious Guff, Cat, Dojangles, Graham Robertson, James Gallagher, Jeff Davis, Orange Vanilla Coke, Patrick Pister, TCU's personal pilot, Andy, Ryan Carroll, Baseweight, Vinthos, Yetis Deletus, Jonas Walter, Nathan Robinson, Jelksies, and, of course, Trevstead. You are the elite. Thank you as well to our indentured servants, producer-editor Ben Webster, Minecraft mogul Laterman, Discord kitten wrangler Conrad, and producer emeritus Dan Yoshua. Thanks to Baseweight for use of Created in the Unknown for the opening theme. Thanks to Electro Voice for giving us mics to sound good on top of it. And a special thanks to Main Gear for powering all of our PC endeavors. The Create Unknown is an unknown media production in partnership with Studio 71.